Yeah, this is the time that we all been waiting on. The moment all the naysayers been hating on. See, they've been talking down on us and flexing. It'll take more than that for you to stop a Houston Texan. A lot of teams talking tough and can't back it up. But not the boys on Kirby, so you can pack it up. Reliant Stadium is where you can find us with the whole city of Houston, Texas standing behind us. See, we've been waiting on this one for 10 years. Sacrificing our bodies with blood, sweat, and tears. All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. I am young Ari Gold. I am obviously joined by the Garnet Texan John Wade, and we are actually blessed and fortunate to have uh, Chad Forbes on the podcast today to talk a little bit draft. Uh, Chad, feel free to introduce yourself, talk about your Twitter, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, and give us a little background about kind of what you do. Well, I'm only on Twitter, so no Instagram, Snapchat for me. Um, you can follow me at NSFL Draft Sites, and uh, I follow all 32 teams and try to uh, deliver a couple mock drafts when the season approaches, and uh, just like to talk football. Um, really, any team you want, just uh, hit me up and give me a follow. Sweet, yep, and you should you should be gaining some Texans followers here after this podcast is released for sure because. They are in dire need for information as there's been not much news lately and we've never not had a first and a second round pick. So this will be the first year entering that we're uh, starting in the third. Uh, Before we kind of hop into this draft, uh, you know, take us through kind of last year's draft. You know, what were your thoughts on Deshaun Watson at the time? Uh, You know, it's easy to look back now and be like, oh yeah, we knew he was the best quarterback in the draft. But, you know, where were you last year with Deshaun and where did you see him being a fit? And did you expect the Texans to do what they did? You know, I, I, it's very hard to project a team moving up from where the Texans did in round one up to 12 for a quarterback. I don't think anybody really saw. You know, everybody knew there was interest in the quarterbacks from the Chiefs and the Texans, but nobody can envision them giving up that type of ransom to get up for him. Uh, I like Deshaun Watson. I think that there were some questions with him about transitioning from the Clemson offense into an NFL scheme and how would that work. But, I mean, you could watch the National Championship game, the semifinals, and you knew he was a player. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I was a big, uh, I was a diehard uh, Deshaun fan coming into the last year's draft, and uh, and John was a big Pat Mahomes fan. Uh, he's now uh, since uh, a diehard Deshaun fan, as we could say here, as he grins uh, in dismay. Yep, about one year ago, I became a big Deshaun Watson fan. <laughs> um, I it looks like I've been wrong. I had a second round grade on him, but hey, I'll take it. I would rather be wrong with our quarterback than, than not. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of his? What did you? Th- yeah, wrong back when he's yours, right? <laughs> right. No, yeah. Um, what do you What do you think of Deshaun now after seeing what he did in the league? Uh, you know, we had Jordan Palmer on uh, about a month ago, who's his off season quarterback coach, and he pretty much just doubled down on Deshaun and told us that he's the second coming of Jesus almost. Uh, you know, what he did this year, what are your thoughts, and kind of what do you think we should expect moving forward with Deshaun? Going back to where he was taken and how he was knocked during the pre-draft process, I think we put too much emphasis on does he come from the NFL offense um, on arm strength rather than putting a huge emphasis on production, intangibles, and a you know, high-level athlete. I think one of my concerns with him, it's, it's been proven slightly true, is this is his second ACL. That's concerning. But, uh, you know, I think the job that Bill O'Brien did with him in terms of building that offense around his strengths, I mean, 
They went from being one of the worst offenses in football, looking at the Brock Osweiler experiment, to being an absolutely explosive team. I mean, we watched them go toe-to-toe with the Patriots. We, you know, we saw just some real great production out of that offense, and I think it's only going to get better as they improve the offensive line if they can keep Deshaun healthy. Yeah. Yeah, the offensive line, it's funny. You know, you already basically hit on one of our needs. And, and me and John, we, we've obviously been talking about it, I would say, since the first snap of 2017, to be honest with you. But our offensive line last year was absolutely atrocious. I mean, we have Nick Martin, who uh, is, is good when he's in. But, you know, first two seasons in the league, he's had injury histories. Uh, what do you see as far as the offensive line from where the Texans are in the third round? that would be available that, that you think could make an uh, impact immediately. And it shouldn't be very hard considering how bad the offensive line was for the Texans. You know, I think that last year, if you look at it, Martin and then Greg Manns were both disappointments. You expected more out of them. All the shuffling of Jeff Allen moving him to left tackle to guard. You know, I think he should be back, but it remains to be seen. I think he's definitely got to earn his roster spot. But I think bringing in Henderson, bringing in Calamente, Fulton's a starter. He's, he's a good player, but I think you're adding competition to the unit. So somewhere in that third-round range, they're going to have to add another offensive lineman that can come in and hopefully compete right away. You know, last year you look at they brought in Davenport in the fourth round, Julian Davenport out of Division One AA or FCS Bucknell. I don't think they can draft another project. I think they need a guy that can come in and at least compete at either t- ideally tackle. In the third round, do you think anybody that is out there isn't a project, though? Or do you foresee them kind of moving up? Yeah, I think that when you're sitting at 68, you got to see really how many of the offensive linemen go in round one. You know, last year was one of the weakest offensive line classes we've seen. And, you know, just looking around the league, the need is just, it's, it's at an all-time high. So, you know, who's going to be there in round three remains to be seen. I know they'd love, the Texans would love to see Austin Corbett from Nevada available. Uh, inside that building, they certainly regret taking Xavier Suofilu over uh, another Nevada lineman named Joel Petonio. And I know they've been very interested in Corbett throughout early stages of this process. And then there's another guy who's a little bit later in round three that I've heard them on, uh, Brandon Parker from North Carolina a and They had the Senior Bowl, and he's kind of a Julian Davenport in this draft in the sense that he's a bit of a project, but I know they really liked him down in Mobile. And then some other guys, you know, Braden Smith from Auburn. You know, some people have questions about that scheme, Gus Malzahn's Auburn scheme, transitioning to the NFL over time. So he could be an option in round three. Um, and I think, you know, one of the tackles should make it there, whether it's a DeMarco Jones or, and when I say make it there, I mean 268, you know, being a the Ohio State tackle, DeMarcus Jones, or I don't think Brian O'Neill from Pitt will get there, but, uh, Maybe Tyrell Crosby from Oregon. So they should have some options, and definitely one of those three picks they've got taken off at the lineman. Uh, that's, those are names that uh, I'm sure Texans fans are, are Googling as we speak because there's a dire need for tackles and guards, and uh, it's glad, I'm glad that you were able to bring up some players that, you know, the, the common fan isn't going to know. So, you know, come come first round, second round, you kind of have an idea, but once you get to that third, it's it truly is a roll of the dice. So, um, it's nice to have some additional names to, to look out for. Uh, let me ask you this. There is a, a huge uh, uprise right now with the cornerback from Colorado, Isaiah Oliver. 
there, there's a couple people that are really starting to eye him, and he's really starting to climb up the boards. Cornerback and secondary in general is a Texan is a need for the Texans this year. I know we signed Ty, uh, the Honey Badger and we signed Colvin, which is great, but we still have J. Joe, who's older, Kareem Jackson. We don't even know if he's really a corner. The guy can't cover, but he's great against the run. Uh, Kevin Johnson can't stay on the field, and he wants to hit like he's 220 pounds, even though he's 170 soaking wet. Uh, you know, I would love for us to trade up in the second round for Isaiah Oliver if if there's any way he slides off out of the first round. What are your thoughts on Isaiah Oliver as a, as a, as a uh, prospect, and, and where do you see him going as far as the rounds? The two prospects that came out last year that I compared to are – Kevin King from Washington and went to the Packers in round two. And then Akila Witherspoon from also from Colorado, who ended up with the 49ers early round three. With Witherspoon, he fell around three. He had all the length. And that's what everybody wants in these corners. They want big, tall, length, great athletes. And Witherspoon wasn't that, but he just wasn't enough of a tackler. With Oliver, there's been a lot of round one talk. I think there's jockeying for position in terms of who's the second corner in this draft. Assuming you look at Mika Fitzpatrick, it's kind of a nickel safety. But after Denzel Ward, it's between Oliver and Joshua Jackson from Iowa, Carlton Davis from Auburn, uh, Jair Alexander from Louisville. It's another good corner class. Not as good as last year, but you know, just talking about the Texans scheme-wise, you know, Romeo Corral over time, he's, he's done a great job with kind of smaller guys who are a little bit physical. Maybe they don't run the fastest. Maybe they don't look the best off the hub. You look at a guy like Brandon Flowers, some of the guys he's had success with in the past, even back to the Patriots days. I think two names that just stick out to me as just great fits in round three would be Duke Dawson from Florida and MJ Stewart from North Carolina. Uh, I think that they're going to have to wait on, I mean, I would wait on corner because I just put offensive line as the number one priority. I think once you got the franchise quarterback, you need to do everything you can to help them. But uh, I think they should be able to find some corner value in round three. No, I, I agree, and, and the fact that you you're able to give us even you know a couple more prospects to look at, I, I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm totally in love with uh, Isaiah Oliver. I th- I honestly think he's the best corner in the draft after uh, watching a couple of the breakdowns that some people have done on Reddit that I've seen, and uh, what just looking at his pure, his talent, but then look at his physical traits from his length, uh, he just looks like he really is the the whole package. Uh, so I, I would absolutely, if he's somehow available in the third or middle second, I would love for them to trade up and get him. But I would, I not only is he a great athlete with change of direction and size, he's also got very high football and off the field character. And um, so he's been he's done great in the interviews in the combine and just early in this. I guess it's not early anymore. We're getting close to the draft, but you know I've heard Falcons in round one as a fit. Oh wow! Mm. I think Panthers are in the corner market there, but I think that his, I guess if you wanted to say range will be somewhere from, call it 24 to 41. Okay. And uh, I just, I don't see the Texans, given the statement they are with uh, draft capital, being able to move up for him, but you know, we all have our draft crushes and uh, he's not a bad one to have. Yeah. It's going to be interesting, it's interesting to see where he goes. Uh, like I said, I, I think he's uh the second coming of Richard Sherman, if I'm if I'm being honest, just based on his college state. But uh, I'm also uh, I also tend to uh, I guess be overly dramatic on players that I have a crush on. So uh, that's why I don't do this. That's why I don't do this for a living. <laughs> All right. Well, Chad, 
so you said that uh, offensive line would be the your first concern. What would you follow that up with? I think those two corners I mentioned, Duke Dawson and MJ Stewart, if they were somehow there, Andy, I would also be, I'd be looking to add either a future pick or I'd be looking to move down a little bit from 80 potentially and add, I guess, a fifth round pick. I think they're lacking one of those uh, with the trades they've pulled off in the last uh, last couple of years. But uh, Duke Dawson and MJ Stewart make a lot of sense to me. They've also been looking at tight ends. I think tight ends more of a later proposition, just the way the board's going to fall. Um, you know, some other guys that I've written down, Rashad Penny from the running back from San Diego State, they're quietly doing a lot of work on the running backs. You know, Lamar, Con- Lamar, J- uh, Lamar Miller, excuse me, contract is, you know, it's pretty significant on uh, a go-forward basis. And you got to, you know, with running backs, you've got a question whether you're reaching, you know, diminishing returns. And I don't think they're sold on the back they drafted out of Texas, who's also injured. And I don't think because they drafted a couple of years ago, uh, the undersized guy. Who was his name? Tyler uh, Irvin. Irvin, yeah. I don't think he's ever been able to kind of carve out a role. Uh, I think they've got to also be looking at a slot wide receiver. I'm not sold on Bruce Ellington or really anything they've got there. So I think, yeah, corner, defensive back, or wide receiver, or offensive line. Those are really the three priorities I see uh, being at 68, 80, and 98. In an ideal world, you have all three of those. Well, uh, John just died because you talked about Bruce Ellington from uh, South Carolina where John went. So now uh, John's unable to actually speak for the rest of the podcast due to that. We love Bruce, though. We love Bruce. I think Bruce, I know he's had injury histories, but I think what he did last year with Sean – I, I thought he really filled that slot role rather well. Now, of course, the biggest question with Bruce is always going to be uh, his health status. Uh, it, it's been that way since he entered the league, unfortunately. He hasn't finished an entire yeah, season yet. Yeah. There's a reason they resigned him. But, you know, I, you know, I'm not privy to what they really think they've gotten Braxton Miller, but I think that he might be gone sooner or better than later. I don't see him really carving out a role in this offense. And so they need that. You know, that slot receiver that just succeeds so well in this Patriot-style scheme. You know, the guy that creates quick separation, which, you know, we saw Bruce Ellington do that in flashes, but if you put a guy underneath the, you know, kind of a Cole Beasley type or uh, with DeAndre Hopkins and Fuller, you've got something working there. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I mean, if you can add a guy, and, and, and I agree with you about the Braxton thing as well. We both were extremely high on Braxton when he came out. We thought that there was a good chance that he could turn into something. Uh, I have my own theory that I, th- I think he's in Bill O'Brien's doghouse, and I think when you're in Bill O'Brien's doghouse, it's just something that you typically can't get out of. Uh, we saw it with Jalen Strong. I was in that house about a year ago. You talking about Jalen Strong? He was in that doghouse that Braxton's uh, currently occupying about a year ago this time. Exactly, exactly. And it seems like it's kind of the same trend. Uh, you know, if you look at him last year, he looked better. He looked actually a lot better. Uh, it was more the opportunities that weren't there. And then when he did get the opportunity, he was immature and did a flip into the end zone. Bill O'Brien didn't like that. So uh, Bill O'Brien, as much as I love him and John loves him, we think he's a, I think he's a top-tier coach in this league. I, I do think that he has a little bit of Belichick in him in the ego side that, that seems to tamper with his coaching style. All great coaches have an ego. Most football men do too. With Bill, he's a tough. 
that's why, I, I, to be frank with you, I didn't see him working with a young quarterback like Deshaun Watson. I just thought that eventually they would butt heads and, you know, something. I, I didn't see him going with the young quarterback round unless he came from that, you know, pro-style offense and had all the footwork down. But, you know, he's shown an adaptability. He's certainly a quarterback. And you know, maybe when your only other option is, you know, Tom Savage or Brandon Wheaton, you could, you've become pretty adaptable. Yeah. No, I would agree. Let me ask you this, just because you brought up his name, uh, Tom Savage. Uh, coming out of Pitt, I actually was hoping that the Texans would take Tom Savage. I like Tom Savage in college. Uh, I think his talent is there. I think the skill is there. I think the brain is there. I think he just wasn't a good fit for this offense, and then add to the fact that that offensive line was garbage. Why do you think that Tom Savage was – settled for a one-year, $1.6 million deal as a backup for New Orleans instead of trying to go to these quarterback-needy teams? Yeah, I guess, the, you know, once the you know dice settled, even A.J. McCarron couldn't find the deal he was looking for in free agency. You know, he had to find a home. And uh, New Orleans, you get to work under Sean Payton. You know, that's attractive in its own right. And, uh, yeah, I think they needed a backup quarterback, and they were priced out of Chase Daniel once the Bears gave him that big deal, and that's what they bought to the market. And rather than, you know, saying no, I mean, you still got better quarterbacks out there looking for a spot, whether it's Derek Anderson or Matt Moore, who, frankly, have been a little bit unrealistic on the money they've been looking for. So the quarterback market for these backup types, you know, it didn't, besides the backup who's, you know, going to go in and be the, I guess you would say, um, caddy or mentor for a young quarterback on his rookie contract, whether it be Chase Daniel in Chicago or Drew Stanton in Cleveland, the money was just not there for the veteran backup quarterback in this state, in this uh, year's pregnancy. Yeah. No, I agree. I just think it's uh, I think it's strange. I, I think Tom's going to find a home, and I think he'll find a role. I don't think he'll be a, a world beater by any means, but I do think that eventually he's going to uh, carve out a nice spot on a nice team. Uh, so we brought it, you brought up tight end, and you said that was later on down the road. And and to me, uh, I, there aren't very many tight ends that are first and second round guys. It seems like, especially anymore. And if you look at the greats in the league, most tight ends are taken in anywhere from the third on down. Uh, I like Dalton Schultz from Stanford. John's not a big fan. Can you tell me a little bit about Dalton and kind of where you rank him, and and if you think he'd be a good fit in this Texans offense? Sure. Well, he's a kid out of Utah, played Stanford, didn't have the, you know, and the Stanford tight ends over time have, you know, obviously gone on to the league and been very successful. Um, he's actually, which is rare for this group of tight ends, he's solid as a blocker. Um, he can set an edge, and he's got pretty physical at the point of attack for a college tight end. Uh, question is just really the production. It's, uh, it's not ideal, and he has some drop issues, and, you know, he's not a dynamic, stretch-the-scene type tight end. He's, in many ways, he's you know similar bit to Ryan Griffin. Um, so I think that you know, he's, for me right now, uh, he's my sixth-rated tight end. Uh, but you look at it, you're right. The, the group of tight ends, besides really the three at top, who everybody has mixed opinions on, that being Dallas Goddard from South Dakota State and Aiden Hurst from South Carolina and Gusecki from Penn State. After that group of three, I think there's a pretty steep cliff to the rest of the group, and... So, you know, rather than, you know, reaching on a guy in round three, I think it would be kind of behoove them to come back to it later in the draft with maybe a guy like, as you mentioned, Schultz, who I know they've been very interested in, or Troy Fumagalli, Durham Smythe, uh, 
even down to guys like Jordan Atkins from Central Florida, Deion Yelder from Western Kentucky, who the Chiefs are going to take late, but he's interesting. Um, Disley from Washington or his open board, these are projects. And it's a position that in the past, I would say, 10 years, you had to take the time to develop these guys. Now, go back to the Benjamin Watson, for example, in 2004. Benjamin Watson, I think, just signed a deal with the Saints yesterday, and he's like 39 years old. <laughs> it took him, you know, five, six years to finally learn how to play the position in a, in a way that was a complete tight end. And, you know, I look at the, what they've been doing trying to develop a tight end in Houston, and uh, they got the young Steven Anderson on the roster. They haven't quite been able to get him consistent. You know, obviously, you know, F- Fidelowitz is done, so they've got need there, but I don't necessarily see a, you know, no doubt, great pick for them in round three. What is your thoughts on uh, Jalen Samuel? Um, he, Bill O'Brien coached him at the Senior Bowl and seemed to like him. Is he just too much of a tweener, or do you think he has potential? You know, in this, I guess what you'd call the college spread that's coming to the NFL, whether it be with Andy Reid or in Chicago with these type of versatile matchup players, uh, he might have a chance. I think he's a bit of a tweener. And to be a highly thought of tweener, you've got to show you're just a great athlete. And he's not you know, a high-level athlete. Is he a fullback? Is he an H-back? I think he's kind of a fourth or fifth-round guy, and uh, he should be a quality special teams player. But, um, you know, I, I look at him, and I just say that issues they've had developing at that position, and in some ways he kind of reminds me of Braxton Miller, where you're going to have a guy on the roster who, you know, really doesn't have the defined role necessarily because, you know, I really do like Jay Cross at fullback, and I don't think that, Jalen Samuels is going to be a tight end or a running back. So I think he's just a tough fit with the Texans. Hmm. Okay. So let me ask you this. Uh, running back-wise, I, I do think that we're going to add a running back. I don't think it'll be in the first three rounds that, or first two rounds that we pick. I would assume it'll probably be a sixth-round pick, seventh-round pick, unless there's somebody there that they just really think is – teams shock you with at that point in the draft. What running backs do you think that we could draft that would make an impact day one? I mean, Deontay Foreman's coming back from an Achilles. We don't know if he's going to be fine. As you said, Lamar Miller is on a pretty significant contract. Uh, if they have, the, I, I think if they have the opportunity to and they feel comfortable doing so, they, they could move on from Lamar uh, and designate him a post-June 1st cut. Um, what running back would be available during that time that you think could come in and make an impact immediately? I think the three names, if you're not looking at a top 100 pick at running back, that have kind of gotten a lot of traction in the, I guess what you would call the Patriots tree, you know, coaches and executives throughout the league are Chase Edmonds from Fordham, who's uh, drawing a lot of comparisons to the kids that the Patriots have, uh, whose name is Gaiman, you know, scored the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. Um, virtually identical testing numbers, that kind of undersized back that can contribute in both phases. Uh, Mark Walton from Miami is a guy with some medical issues who might be had late. I don't think, given the medical on the Texas back foreman, they'll go in that direction. But two other guys that I've kind of heard tied to them are Akron Wadley from Iowa and then Philip Lindsay from Colorado as kind of late-round options for the Texans. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. All right, well, let's go through this draft in general. I mean, this is a quarterback-savvy draft. It's full of quarterbacks. There's a star running back in the mix, uh, another star defensive end, a ton of movement in the top 10. How do you how do you see this draft playing out in the first 10 picks? I mean, 
What are your expectations uh, for the first 10 picks of the first round? Well, I think it's going to be, this is the best quarterback class we've had in years. I think you can compare it to the Manning, Rivers, Roethlisberger 2004 draft. Some of the old-timers are even comparing it to the 83 draft. Uh, it's a great group. And they're, you know, is there an Andrew Luck? You know, maybe not. But there's some great quarterback prospects in this draft. And I think they're going to be gone quickly. I think the first three picks will end up being quarterbacks. Depends on, obviously, who is making those picks. There could be some movement. And then I think Baker Mayfield will be the fourth to go. And uh, I think he's going to go fifth. So I think four of the first five will be quarterbacks. Wow. Okay. So that would be a first in NFL history. Uh, that's nuts. So I think those are, those are the guys that will go. And I think you mentioned, uh, you know, beyond the quarterbacks, if you said, who are the premium players in this draft? You know, and position, taking really not taking into account, I guess, you know, positional value just on their tape and who they are, you know, as a player at this time. It's Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, Chubb from NC State, the defensive end, and Barkley from Penn State. And then I think there's a couple guys knocking on the door to be in that tier. You know, be it Tremaine Edwins from Virginia Tech, the linebacker, Denzel Ward, the corner from Ohio State, uh, Roquan Smith, Minka Fitzpatrick. So I think there's a group of kind of 11 prospects at the top here who are, uh, you want to be in the first 11. I think that's for sure. And uh, there are some really intriguing prospects that, you know, I think some teams are going to be very happy to see that run on quarterbacks and some really good players in the ball in their laps. I find, uh, I find, Saquon Barkley intriguing for sure. I, I just think it's crazy that another running back is going to go in the top five based on the way that the league is shaping out. Uh, do you think that he, he can make the impact that Zeke made his first year? I think he might be a more complete back than Zeke with zero off-field issues. Okay. Um, I think if you're going to take a running back high, you've got to commit to, you know, it's going to create, ideally, if you go Browns, you go quarterback at one and running back at four, you're going to have uh, some contract dilemma on your hand in four years. But I think inside that building, they're saying, does it really matter in four years? You know, just the track record of this organization, we might not be here. He might be the best short-term kind of injection of playmaking ability offensively. So, you know, I've always, I've always said I would never touch a running back in the top ten. Uh, I really don't think you should be taking a running back in the first round unless he's the final piece to the puzzle. And if you're picking in the top ten, the running back's not the final piece. But, you know, I think that some people are talking about, you know, the Brown the four as being the best fit for Barkley. you got to value him against how do you think, what do you think of Bradley Chubb and what do you think of Denzel Ward and maybe some of the safeties. But I think that Barkley can make a big impact. Wow. Okay. All right, so before we let you get out of here, with with the with the the Texans first pick in the third round, who would you expect the Texans would land? I mean, obviously it's a crapshoot, right? But if you were to do a mock draft, who would you expect? Ooh, I'd probably take Jamarco Jones, the offensive tackle from Ohio State, or potentially one of the corners. I think it would be there, MJ Stewart or Duke Dawson. Um, I think my when I do uh, my mock, and you'll, you'll probably see it and be surprised about it, I heard from some people down at the Senior Bowl that, and this I think is one of the reasons that you know, the only veteran quarterback in the building right now is Brandon Leighton, is that they're very high on Kyle Laletta 
and that he would not make it past their third pick in that third round. So I could see a quarterback going 98, actually, which I think would surprise some people. But I think one of Duke Dawson, MJ Stewart, and then an offensive lineman, whether it be a Brandon Parker or a Jamarco Jones or Braden Smith, there at 68. Okay. Well, I, honestly, I think everybody would be fine with any of those picks. Uh, one more question about the draft. Lamar Jackson, uh, John's got it in his head that he thinks that's the perfect fit for us. And I agree. I think he's a perfect fit for us. I'm not going to say what other details that John said about Lamar Jackson coming to Houston. But uh, what are your thoughts on Lamar Jackson as a, as a prospect? And do you see there being any way that he's he's even there in the third no, I know. I know you wanted them to trade up in the second, but I'm. I'm just wondering if there. Do you think that there's a chance that they really don't buy into him as a quarterback, the league? No, I think that. I think Lamar Jackson ultimately finds his finds his way into the back end of the first round. Okay. I think his physical gifts are their parent, and if you can bring him along slowly, maybe he can tailor your offense a little bit after what the Texans have done with Deshaun Watson. You're getting a dynamic playmaker. And, you know, I look at a team like the Cardinals, too. They don't really have the draft capital. Well, they have the capital, but they don't necessarily have the roster where going up for one of these quarterbacks is feasible. I look at Lamar Jackson behind, you know, Bradford, who's going to be hurt probably by, you know, middle <laughs> And Mike Glennon, who, you know, I think that if they tried to trot Mike Glennon out there week one, the fan base would revolt. So I look at Lamar Jackson in Arizona. I think that'd be a great fit for him. Where he goes, uh, I think he probably ends up in round one. So I think that I'm just throwing out a, a theory here, but I think the Giants take Barkley in the first round, and I think they actually trade back into the first, say twenty to twenty-four, and draft Lamar Jackson. I don't think the Giants would take one Barkley at two. Okay. And I think if they don't take a quarterback at two, whether it be one of the top four quarterbacks that they're going to be kicking the can down the road, so to speak, and coming and committing to Eli for a couple more years with the idea that by 2020, they'll be back in the quarterback market with Davis Webb on the final year of the rookie deal and Eli Manning kind of riding off into the sunset as a 39-year-old. I think that the Giants are struggling in the sense that they love Eli and what he's brought to the organization, but I think they're looking at trading down, but I think they're hesitant because if Sam Darnold somehow doesn't land in Cleveland, I don't think the Giants could pass on him. All right, I got one more question for you. Um, P.J. Hall, is he really rising within the top 100? P.J. Hall? Yes, uh, Sam Houston State, defensive. Did I say his name P. right? P.J. Hall? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he was a combine snub, and I think every every area scout in the country thought, oh, this is great. He's going to be my you know, day three sleeper. I'm going to get a raise from this one. I mean, he had such great production at Sam Houston State that it's really, I mean, kind of shocking. I mean, one of the stats that I got from Lance Zerline, who does great profiles on NFL.com, he blocked 14 kicks in his career at Sam Houston State. Now, I don't care if you're playing, uh, you know, in the Southland Conference or if you're playing powder puff football, blocking 14 kicks a college career is pretty off the charts. And uh, I think a team that prioritizes you know, undersized quickness, one-gap athleticism, I think he's going to find his way somewhere in the end of round three. And uh, he's a really intriguing player. He's, he kind of reminds me of a guy the Texans are interested in a little bit. 
uh, the Canadian kid, Nathan Shepard, in the sense that there's these small cool school kids who have production, have the athleticism, and you know people might be surprised that they're going to go earlier than some of these you know more household SEC names. Yeah, he was a guy that I was sure because I mean he's he's pretty well known here in Texas that we were going to pick him up either late or as an undrafted free agent. And then I saw your tweet that he's now being spoken of as a top 100 player, which is something else. There really is no sleepers anymore. No, there's not. Okay, last question, I swear, and then we'll let you go. Shaquem Griffith. Me and John are, are intrigued by this guy. Obviously, the entire world is, right? I mean, you you root for him. You want to see him succeed. Given what this kid is has talent-wise – uh, and the effort he puts forward, also playing with that chip on his shoulder his entire career, is there any way he's that the Texans would would draft him? And do you see him being even available in the third? I think he'll definitely be available in the third. I think his range. And he's been invited to the draft in Dallas, which to me, they're not going to leave a kid with that kind of uh, alarm issue, and they're not going to leave him in the green room until around seven. That's for sure. Sure. But uh, you know they. They just said that down in Mobile, he just brought such an energy to practice, that he's a tough physical kid that people just want to have in their building. And, and I look at him and I say, all right, where does he fit? Right? Because, you know, one hand is going to be an issue. And, and you know, just watching the playoffs, like Blake Bowles was taking off and running and the way Mariota does it or Deshaun can do it, I say, put him in the AFC South and let him play a linebacker spiral, maybe blitz him a little bit. But, I mean, he's a freakish athlete for his size. He's physical and I root for him. I think everybody does. And, uh, you know, I think it's nice that he's definitely going to be drafted. And uh, he might make sense for the Texans. I, you know, I think 98 or given where they sit, it might be a bit rich there. But uh, yeah, he's definitely one of the names to follow in this draft. Okay. Well, Chad, uh, we now consider you a friend of the podcast, just so you know. Uh, and we and we really do appreciate you taking the time to come on here and talk NFL draft. We'd love to have you back post draft to kind of talk about the Texans draft uh, if you're able to carve out some time. That'd be great, guys. Thank you for having me on, and that's uh, what with the pod. That thank you so much. We'll talk soon, Chad. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Time to get it done, we still got it done, man. Now it's our time to shine, it's our time to keep it 100. So we gonna go out here and show them how trill we are, baby. So you better get out the way, cause we coming for it. It's all for one, and it's one for all. Let's go. All for one, and one for all.